0: Hello and welcome to episode 130 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only, longest day of summer, Shane Beeps. Is it really? Is it the longest day of summer?
1: Yeah, I think so. No, it's not. Like the the Equinox... Like the Chevy Equinox? Yeah, it's the Chevy. (coughs) Stan. Just the two of us Mm. playing modern in the sky. Just the two of us, you and
0: I. That's right. Unfortunately, we lost Dave again to the lush woods of Wisconsin this time. traveled north in search of deep fried calzones. And simply decided to stay. And frankly, we can't blame him. Wisconsin, a beautiful state. It's got that squeaky cheese. Maybe the best in the Midwest. Hopefully, we can coax him back on soon. As soon as next week, perhaps. You're <laughs> hoping. You're gonna have to stick around to find out. Shane, we don't need him though. We usually have a ball no. without him. We get to do our bits. Yeah, that's the thing. Is we don't have
1: we don't have the Godfather bringing his special brand of downerism. <laughs> Our fun time podcast, yeah. Our yeah. fun time, good good boys podcast about modern and sometimes pioneer and historic. Oh man, Stan, I'm li- I'm living I'm living that modern life. I'm living that modern life, my friend. Me too. Do you hear my wife sneezing in the background? I don't. But uh, um, she she's got that sneeze going on. But um, <laughs> yeah, man, I'm I'm that that modern life. It's I'm re- I'm returned. I'm, I'm home for, for now. I've had some frustrating matches where it's just like, well, that was over quickly. But you know what? That happens in Historic, too.
0: Yeah, that's magic for you.
1: Yeah, but now I get to cast cool cards instead of lame cards.
0: On this week's episode, we break down some of the weekend's Modern Challenge results and continue to figure out what, if anything, might be the best new deck in Modern. Then it's the return of everyone's favorite Sleeve Believe Heave rating system, as Shane and I cover our experiences with a bunch of blue decks. That was a surprise when I looked at what you were covering versus what I was covering. We all played blue.
1: Oh man, you're right. There was there's a lot of blue spells being cast. You know what the problem is, is I think moderns is slowly becoming Don't legacy. Say
0: it. Oh god. Where are all, all the good cards are just blue. Dave was actually planning to be on this episode and he played Mardu. He would have been our <sighs> non-blue player, but it sounds like Shane is slowly coming around to the way of no <laughs> instant speed reaction
1: oh my god he admit it. <laughs>
0: will Shane finally sleeve up delver of secrets
1: Stan I need to ask you a quick question how do I play counter spell <laughs>
0: <laughs> well what you want to do is wait until your opponent casts the spell oh okay has to be on the stack though right ideally like, you yes. bounce it off of the board yeah but if if they cast a bane fire you you know that card bane fire no if they cast a Banefire and X is 5 or more, you do not want to cast your counterspell. What about
1: Thrun the Last Troll? Do it. Okay, see what happens? Let's roll the dice.
0: Before all that, though, let's housekeep. A couple new patrons to shout out this week. Huge thanks to Sebastian D. and Kyle M. for joining the Dive Down Nation. Welcome and thank you both. Also, a couple new reviews. We got one from Kiefer Loeb. And <sighs> new show reviews. 1999 One. First person to born in 1999. <laughs> I remember I remember reading that article.
1: You sure they're not from the year 19,991? And they're traveling back in time to see to say the, the good good boys made
0: 10,000 podcasts. I hadn't thought about the future. I'm still living in the past. Yeah, man. Open your eyes. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash The Dive Down. You can also support the show while playing Magic with the Mana Traders account try out some of the cool new cards and decks that we're talking about today if you sign up for Mana traders using coupon code the dive down 2021 that's all one word 2021 is is numerical not roman it's not spelled out it's not like t-w-e-n-t-y god that would be so annoying we should do it though <laughs> our fans our fans would type it out get 15 percent off your first two months of renting magic online cards we really appreciate everyone who's been using our coupon code this month and, and really since forever we see you we appreciate you and it means a ton to us yeah Im- importantly you don't you don't even you don't even have to
1: listen to us to use it tell your friends put it put it on some coupon web pages get some karma on on Reddit just tell everyone
0: yeah Managed Traders was having an issue when when modern horizons 2 first dropped where there was some card availability problems like Urza Saga was hard to rent ragavan was really hard to rent. But I feel like by the latter half of this past weekend, those problems were solved and it got a little easier for me to rent cards. And you know what's a good way
1: to stop a supply issue is slowly purchase more cards. And I mm-hmm. think that's
0: what they did. Thank you, mana traders. Life finds a way. But now, we got a breakdown for you today. We got some modern challenges. And Shane, you wrote us some notes if if I'm looking at, at our doc correctly.
1: There's notes. There's no pivot tables. But it's been it's been a little bit since we've had uh, the time and I think maybe for the reason to focus on tournament play in modern, like we're, we're heading into just the third week with these cards uh, legal on magic online, at least, and players are continuing to refine these deck concepts. They're making these lists more tuned. Some of these early strategies that looked somewhat broken are being reacted to and people are having to change their approaches, these emerging players and perhaps emerging pillars of the new format, the post-Modern Horizons Two format, are being revealed, and I have not even opened my first paper pack because life's horrible and I can't find them at a big box store. I'm waiting on some boxes from from uh, Cool Stuff Ink. Shout out to Cool Stuff Ink. <laughs> it's actually it's gonna get here tomorrow. That's pretty sweet. That is sweet. I can't wait to crack those packs. So should I
0: stay home from work? Do you think? Just like you know. <laughs> I got to work from home. Yeah. Hold, hold a thermometer up to a light bulb. (laughs) I got a fever of 250 degrees.
1: (laughs) Shane, that seems bad. Help. Uh, uh, um, So what we have this, this week, um, as is somewhat typical, we're going to look at both the weekend challenges from this most uh, recent weekend. So that's Saturday, the 19th, Sunday, the 20th of June in anno Domini two zero two one. I think that's how you say that. Um, Okay, so let's start with the 19th. That's the Saturday challenge. And what we're going to do is run down through the, the top eight of both, Saturday and Sunday. Then we'll kind of look at some larger trends that we're noticing and talk about maybe even a, a few cool decks, inks that we, that we noticed. So starting in first place, M-Muck with It Urza, Food, and well, I'd like to talk about this deck. I'm going to be talking about this deck in more depth in the dive down segment. So just hold your horses. We'll get to it. Uh, second place, canister. Yes, that canister. Yes, again, <laughs> you're hearing his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amulet Titan. Yes, it's Amulet Titan. And yes, it has four Urza Saga. It
0: also has four Abundant Harvest. It does. Which I think is a card we anticipated to be strong in modern. And- it's not as strong as I thought yet. It's not
1: everywhere. You know what I mean? It's not like every green
0: deck. Agreed, I, I, and I think so far it's really just been popping up most of all in, in Titan, though Yeah, here and there, we like we saw it in a Soul Herder deck, we saw it in some Jun decks. It, it's definitely not the new Once Upon a Time, but it's cool that it's actually seeing some utility here because we were anticipating it to be a very powerful cantrip.
1: Yeah, it's one of those cards that I think the, the power of it is not quite as bonkers as like Once Upon a Time, but we never claimed that it would be. I think that right now... There's not a lot of decks that need it or have a home for it, but I'm curious as the format settles if Abundant Harvest will something that we see more of. And I think it's just one of those cards that will be a lifelong staple in decks that want it, but it's not it's like just like decks like every blue deck's not going to play for opt. Not that opt is I think on the power level of Abundant Harvest. It's just one of those things where it's like you're not just going to throw it in your deck because you can yeah, but I I also did make the argument. I remember it being like, well, why why wouldn't like a green mid range deck just run one of these? Like, so late game you find some, you know, find what you need type thing. But I don't think we're quite there. I think the density of good cards is maybe mo- there more than cool cantrip type thing mm-hmm. selection.
0: I think the real important card to talk about on these amulet lists is uh, this this land. It's called Urza Saga. Heard of it? Never heard of it. No, what's that about? It's pretty good. Um, it's, uh, it's an enchantment land first of its kind. Oh, and it's, uh, it's one of those, uh, sagas it enters with the, with the story counter. So but the, what it really reads in
1: this deck is get one amulet of vigor, right? Like that's kind of like the main utility here.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of your redundant turn three amulet of vigor play. So if you don't have amulet in your opening hand, but you do have a saga, you can always guarantee to find an amulet basically in the same turn that you can go off yeah even if it gets your second amulet that's almost a guaranteed win oh yeah on its like own. double double
1: amulet is so good in this deck like whenever they have two you're like oh goodness that, that doesn't bode well all right third place lava ridge on jeskai control stan's gonna be talking about a deck extremely similar to this i believe later on in the dive down as well so similar so,
0: you would you would have thought that i had just downloaded this exact list and
1: i don't know it's really later for the episode all right, fourth place is it Delver by Boogles. Hey, it's the other deck I'm going to be talking about in the dive down. So sorry to steal uh, your <laughs> your breakdown happiness, but we're going to talk about three of these four decks in the dive down. Fifth place,
0: I do love no. the idea of, of the breakdown being kind of like a a, a mouthwater and a moose boosh for what's to come in the dive down later. <laughs> Just a bunch yes. of teases.
1: I agree. Amuse Bouche is my favorite guy in the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> uh, fifth place, Mana Symbol. Four-color Velomachus, lower hold, taking turns. Mana Symbol, I know, has been working hard on perfecting this deck, uh, and that work is is paying off. You know, uh, This deck basically looks like it's just control the game, then cast an indomitable creativity on a dwarf token, maybe even hard cast the thing, and you get the Velomachus in the battlefield and win some
0: games. There's probably more to this deck than that, but maybe not. You tell me, and you know what? You could ask Symbol yourself. He streams practically every single evening. Always that stream over on Twitch. Uh, it's twitchtv symbol. Twitch.com.
1: Yeah, yeah. C Y M B A L. Yeah, like like the drum thing.
0: Yeah, symbol is cool. They're they're also on the the Senior Visions podcast. They play a lot of really interesting decks with great skill. Check them out. All right, up next, sixth place, Sneaky Misato with Demir Urza
1: Food. We've seen uh, decks like this recently with that, like, heavy blue main deck, taking advantage of all those synergies between Asmo and the food that she can make with the cookbook and Urza Saga and cheap artifacts that can be cast or tutored by Emery. You get your thought monitors, you get your metallic rebukes, and so on. Uh, The deck also gets access to more black cards on the side for interaction and disruption. It's just an, an, one of the it's sort of one of the medium iterations, like one of the iterations that happened a week or so ago. But it stuck around more than I think the the like feasting troll king iterations. And I didn't see a lot of the Golgari iterations. I think with like trail of crumbs and stuff like that in these two challenges, the food cell decks altogether are. I think the decks I've seen the most metamorphosis on. Mm -hmm. from like day one to day like what 12 14 uh everything's
0: moving pretty fast with these so uh the interesting thing i'm noticing here and we'll probably talk about this in some detail during the dive down is that all of these asmore decks are mostly relying on street wraith to enable the madness in order to even cast asmore yeah or another cookbook
1: like just hard cast
0: sure um, so it doesn't feel like you really need to go all in into some kind of discard package in order to cast her, but i'm also noticing that a lot of these decks are starting to play thought monitor, which is that yeah, Afi- yeah. that affinity flying construct that draws you cards and i'm impressed to see that in a deck that isn't necessarily all in on uh artifact strategy per se oh it is I, i'm I, the deck the i'm talking about the like the first
1: place deck that I mentioned is kind of the is it version of this deck. And yeah, I actually think it plays much more like an artifact synergy deck than you would Im- immediately sort of look at because because of just the density of artifacts that you are able to create uh, just by naturally playing out the deck. And that's something that I think w- we can get into. But I do think Thought Monitor is one of the cards that is taking advantage of being in today's modern. We have Urza Saga, of course, which just sort of incidentally does get to spit out some artifacts we have the the food strategies are able to create oodles of artifacts we have tons of cheap artifacts and we know that how emery and urza has played with those in the past and uh we'll continue to and i think it's just sort of like hey uh if i can cast a flying two two draw two for like two mana (laughs) why wouldn't i and it's i think it's working out quite nicely and i'm kind of i'm kind of spoiling my dive down segment right now but who cares it's, Who cares? It's, it's, it's a it's a, it's a whole it's a, it's it's a kit of parts you know what i mean <laughs> and um let's see seventh place Rakdosen in with gruel Ponza. at with gruel Ponza. uh gruel's looking a little bit different than i have seen it in the past uh there's i think i think this was in the last week's challenge too but we didn't really have a, a legitimate breakdown then uh, this has new cards like gorilla shaman well that's an old new old card obsidian charma and fury going alongside of our gruel classics like Carnegie the great crater utopia sprawl blood moon all that good stuff and so what's what's wild about this to me is the inclusion of three main deck liquid metal coating which is that two mana artifact that can be tapped it turns another permanent into an artifact until end of turn which is a combo two card combo i believe it's called combination with gorilla shaman mm-hmm so Gorilla Shaman, its other text doesn't matter, but it has an <laughs> it has an activated ability of XX1 to destroy target non-creature artifact with mana value of X. Okay, so uh, you remember this from the Karn the Creator interactions, lands have no mana value. So this is effectively a pay 1 kill an opponent's land or pay more and kill any non-creature provided you have the mana to do so. Mm-hmm. style effect. And that's pretty powerful to have sort of built into your deck as an option. What do you think about this concept? I guess it also does work with Pillage because Pillage is artifacts and lands. So you could turn anything into an
0: artifact and kill with Pillage, which is nice. Yeah, Rack Dawson is also playing a Braid's main. Yeah, why not? for, for For the same effect. You know, Pons has been going through a lot of iterations since Modern Horizons 2 has come out. This is the first time I'm seeing one that's a little bit all in on this Guerrilla Shaman plan. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm not typically the type of person who likes to promote their own deck designs on the show. But after we got Ignoble Hierarch, one of the things that I was playing with in Ponza was actually how to use Gorilla Shaman out of the sideboard. Because of the interaction with Karn the Great Creator, being able to pull a liquid metal coating. And I think it's really interesting to see this version of the deck going all in onto this Gorilla Shaman strategy, which right. anyone who's played with Shaman knows, very powerful effect.
1: Yeah, it's a little more all in, right? You're just like, I'm not, I'm not going to play some of my other like. There's not even Renin
0: Six in this list, right? Yeah, and and what's odd about the lack of Renin Six is they still have Forgotten Cave. And one of the nice things about Renin Six is that you get to loop those cycling bit. lands. And here, oh my gosh, yeah, here we don't get to do that. It's only playing eighteen lands as well. That almost seems like a mistake. I have to say, quite low. They do got, they do have the Shatter Skull Smashing and Turn and Turner Symbiosis.
1: Yeah, I mean they don't. There's, there's no. Uh, Crucible of Worlds. I wouldn't imagine Crucible of Worlds to be in this deck, but that's not like there's no way to loop Forgotten Cave, so it's just there for maybe like a value. Like I don't need this extra land type thing.
0: Yeah, either either you play it as a mountain off your Blood Moon, or you play it as a tap land turn one, which probably feels bad. You likely only do that after you mulligan. The one thing I want to mention about this deck also is that a lot of the other iterations we've seen of Ponza have been uh, Obosh decks that are going yeah. More yeah. like all in on Fury, playing up to four Fury and using that as a board wipe that then swings for 12 on an empty board. Sounds okay. Seems good. Here, we're playing a much more mid-range game with Obsidian yeah. Charmaw and Skuzzes.
1: And yeah, Season power. Py- I mean, it has all the value cards, like Season Pyromancer and Fury and Charmaw and like lock pieces with Crying the Great Creator. So it does seem like a, it's a different style of gameplay. Uh, it almost reminds me of like a red prison type strategy with mm-hmm. with just different threats. And I mean, this is really a red deck splashing green for a few cards. Do you know what I mean? Like some graveyard hate with scavenging ooze and then the Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl. I believe that's a combo.
0: Yeah. Cool iteration. We'll see if this is the one that sticks. I think Gruul Panza has been doing really well just because Blood Moon is so effective against the Urza Saga decks and a lot of other greedy strategies in general. So excited to see where this goes and... Maybe if we get to keep covering modern for the show, I can do some more explorations and deposit and ponds on the weeks I, ahead.
1: I think I think we're in a phase where people are not really hyped about modern, uh, about historic, and one or two of us are pretty amped about modern. We are in a phase. Tell me about this eighth place list. <laughs> it's uh, it's Velimachus taking turns. It's the same deck. <laughs> cool. it might be the same seventy five. All right, Sunday's challenge. Uh, first place. DM 4X four times the DM Is it Blitz. If you haven't noticed, Is it Blitz is still a very, very viable deck. It's 3-1-ing or better in every prelim. It has six top 32s in the challenges over the last three weekends. It has five O's in every league. I mean that's every deck in Modern, I think. It's it's but it's not going anywhere. The, the most fundamental change with Is it Blitz after uh Bunarizens 2 is that it's just including four dragons, rage, Channeler, not Challenger. Uh, It's a clean replacement for Sprite Dragon. One mana is less than two. Uh, I'm also seeing some number of Unholy Heat make an appearance for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think this is just one of those things where like Dragon's Rage Channeler just gets you all the cards you need when you're doing what the deck is designed to do.
0: One other difference in this DM list is that they're playing four Mishra's Bobble.
1: Oh yeah, just kind of, yeah.
0: To help enable the the Delirium on Channeler, is it is typically not a Bobble deck? So we're... Trying to get that Delver effect online a lot faster.
1: Yeah, it's that's one of those things, like, it's it's interesting to me that even in non-Lyrus decks, it seems like Bobble has become the card of choice to enable Delirium to pair with Dragon's Rage Channeler and be like, hey, I'm going to cast this for free. I get the Free Surveil, which is cool. And then you can say, do I want to draw that card with Bobble? If so, keep it up top. And then you you know crack your bauble. You can look at you look at your own card. You look at your opponent's card. Um, well, at that point you don't need to look at your card if you're keeping it, right? Because you just surveilled it to the top. So you get to see what your opponent's doing. I think a little bit more often. I kind of like that, where it's like um, you know, they'll oftentimes stand. You know, you get to do that cool little trick where it's like I'm going to cast a bauble, and then based on what I see with my bauble, I can uh, shuffle with one of my fetch lands, or I can play uh, I can play it and fetch at the end of the next turn, or I can play an untap, or I can play just a regular old land type thing. With Mistress Bauble and Channeler, you don't have to make that decision because it like sort of you get the you get the surveil instantly off of the cast of the bauble, which is kind of super nice. And you that leaves you open to look at your opponent's deck more often, mm-hmm. which I like because I have found myself, this is another spoiler or a little bit of a tease is I found myself looking at what my opponent's getting a lot more often because I don't need to look at my deck as, as much, which I think is really cool.
0: I'm really excited to hear you talk about the second place deck from Claudio, which is a name we haven't heard in a long time. Yeah.
1: I'm, is this Claudio or Claudio H or it's Claudio. Um, so Claudio is on Golgari Yawgmoth. I don't think there's other Yawgmoth decks, but I, I have to stick with my style guide and <laughs> calling it Golgari Yawgmoth. Uh, he, it seems like this, they, they have been focusing a lot on Yogg lately, and the second place finish here is not surprising to me. This is a great player with a, I think, a really good deck right now, which is interesting because there's a lot of graveyard hate out there. And this deck does rely on the graveyard because stuff goes in and out of the graveyard. And if someone has Leyline of the Void or someone has like a Dothie Voidwalker or something like that, you're not. it's not working. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this deck doesn't have a lot of new cards. Uh, if you're familiar with the, the build at all. But it does have two main deck. Grist, the Hunger Tide, people, I think, in the Yog community are pretty hyped on this card. They've gone from one to two being kind of the norm. It's something you, you don't mind drawing naturally. I wouldn't be surprised to slowly see this even tick up to three because you don't necessarily just want to have to tutor it up with a cord or an Eldritch Evolution. This is something that, hey, if I draw this card, I'm not minding it. But this is another one of those decks where there's not a lot of room because you want all these other pieces. So it's really hard to shave creatures or lands uh, out of this deck. So it's, it's
0: pretty tight there. Do you think that this is basically the best creature combo deck in the format right now, right? Like, I don't think we're I mean, really I talking about Heliod anymore. No, I don't think
1: there's a lot of reason not to. I think the main thing that is a benefit of this deck uh, over Heliod-type strategies is the creatures come back. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you don't always want them. It's sometimes better to have, I think, an undying creature without counters on it. But yeah, this is more resilient where it's like if you get furied or if you get uh, even like a removal style deck or if someone's playing Asmo against you with a bunch of food and they're just removing your creatures, they have to make food faster because you can combo off. They they just have to get, you know, if your creatures coming back, then yeah, they're two they're they're food terminates are not quite as powerful as they are against something like heliod or against something um i guess that's kind of the main or like especially like devoted druid type strategy so and again yeah it's not just a combo deck right where it's like heliod does have a harder time beating down and as uh yog staple yog stalwart rather uh aaron in the <laughs> chat reminds me is that yeah you can you still beat down with this deck so if your opponent's not setting up a clock which some of these food decks don't do. They're just kind of like, I'm going to grind you out really slowly. If their terminates aren't really terminates and you're still attacking and the creatures are actually bigger, then yeah, that's actually pretty good. Have you been tinkering with this deck a little bit? I keep wanting to find time, mm-hmm. but you know, as as we have talked about in recent weeks, it's been pretty busy and I wanted to find... I, the, my, my playing this week was with like more newer cards, but I am I am hyped to to play this deck, especially as I open up some grists. I hope in my boxes that come tomorrow. Yeah. All right. Uh, Talisker, good scotch. On um, is it Delver? Uh, another deck similar to the one I'm going to talk about in the dive down. Uh, McWright, fourth place on Amulet Titan. Uh, same build, similar build to what we saw before. Down to the uh, what's that green card? Abundant Harvest. Yeah, that's what it is. Fifth place Hamunda. Uh, Hamuda, rather, on Hammer Time. So, Hammer Time, new cards that are added are per Sentinel, mm-hmm. four Esper Sentinel, for Urza's Saga. What's interesting is I've found that these decks look like they're starting to shave Steel Shaper's Gift, which I originally would kind of thought was untouchable. Steel Shaper's Gift is the tutor that searches a one-mana white sorcery that searches for an equipment card, and you can put it into your hand. But guess what does that?
0: Your lands.
1: <laughs> yeah, when your lands do it, it might be even better. So Urza Saga, yeah, can all, can make artifacts if you need it to, but can also, yeah, tutor up your Colossus Hammer, which strangely costs one.
0: Also, I think the Esper Sentinel kind of helps fill the role of Steel Shaper's Gift because, in theory, you're drawing some cards off of it.
1: Yeah, hopefully. Um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, and it's adding to your artifact count when you, you need to get your metal craft online or you want to get your metal craft online. It gives you that taxing element as well. So I think all in all, Hammer Time looks like it's uh, it's perhaps better than ever. Uh, sixth place, an actual potato on is it Urza food looks like the same deck that won first place on Saturday that I'll be talking about later. Seventh place, Mateus F34 on Etron. Uh, this looks like Etron, but it, only, it has two Urza Saga, so maybe uh, they were trying to rent a little bit too late uh, to the deadline of
0: the challenge, or maybe it's by choice. So, we see Etron here. We've also been seeing regular Green Tron pop up in tournament results and 5-0 dumps. A lot of these decks are playing multiple copies of Versa Saga. I gotta say, I'm kind of delighted to see these Tron decks survive, considering that one of the concerns that a lot of players had was that Tron decks were going to really suffer after MH2, not only because of the addition of things like Void Mirror and other Colorless Hate, but even... Just regular old counterspell being quite effective against some of these big mana strategies. Yeah, I mean,
1: uh, I feel like we are seeing a little bit less Etron, a little bit less Greentron, but I do think that Urza Saga has an interesting place in these decks. I'm, I'm I mean, one of the things that it does for Etron, I think, too, is that especially, let's say, uh, if you want to run some of your wishboard main deck, right? Like, let's say you you think mm-hmm. it's so valuable that you want to be able to get. Like a graveyard piece of graveyard hate or something like that. Etron, I think, has some room for strategies like that or options like that. So why not? Eighth place, Canister again, <laughs> just guy control, uh, just comes back casually on Sunday with another top eight. This time with a deck that you're going to talk about in uh, in the dive time. Right, I sure Stan. am.
0: Chain, Stan talk to let's me. Talk
1: about, let's talk about some trends that we noticed. In these two challenges, so let's talk about the the elephant saga in the room, and that's Urza saga. Twenty two of the sixty four decks featured Urza saga. That's quite a few. That's more than a third. One deck more than a third, actually.
0: And they weren't all as more food decks, right? Oh no! A, in fact, it's appearing that, in Tron. Was, it's it's yeah, appearing the, in Hammer decks. It's appearing in Affinity. Any deck that has some number of artifacts just can slot in for saga two to four. I yeah. Guess.
1: Yeah. I want to talk about that. I think a little bit later on this episode for sure, but like, it's definitely just around. You're going to see a lot of Urza saga doing its thing. Uh, what's interesting though, too, is just after that 18 of the 64 decks had ragavan. So the, the monkey is showing up as the most popular creature. I think across both of these. And uh, just a powerful, powerful card that goes into a lot of different decks. It's not just in red aggro. It's in all kinds of you know red control or like you know not even red base control. People like splashing red. I think for like Ragavan and Bolt. You know I mean, it's <laughs> it, it's in it's in Urza's style food decks as just like uh, your early threat that kind of puts pulls you ahead and makes artifacts for
0: free. Mm-hmm. It just does a lot. Ragavan is nice. I love that. I got to play with it some and I'll talk about why I loved it so much in a little bit.
1: Uh, 13 stoneforge mystic decks still holding on to a, a good portion of the metagame here in modern stoneforge mystic is powerful. It's doing great things right now. Access to cauldra I think is really good and it's just it, for whatever reason, even with all the removal and counter spells and things like that that are out there uh, stoneforge mystic is is still holding her own. Here's an interesting thing, Stan. And I feel like the Dive Down Nation—not us, but our, our our friends in the Slack—have been thinking about this more more aptly than we have been. Fury, up and comer, Elemental, uh, ten decks out of sixty-four featured Fury. What are you thinking about Fury lately? Have you had the chance to to play with her against this card?
0: Let me put it this way, Shane. <laughs> Stan's rubbing his eyes. Are you sitting down? I'm I'm sitting. I haven't cast a single fury, but uh, I I've been buying them because I know I'm going to want to start casting these sooner than later.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a good card. I it's 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 crept up in price on TCG. T, okay, hold on it's, it was like a two dollar fifty cent mythic elemental, and I'm just like, y'all, this is not a two fifty card, okay? And I think we we've been seeing people I think take advantage of like, oh, I do like my free board clear.
0: Mm Hmm. mm -hmm. I I I think a lot of the air in the room got sucked out by grief, subtlety, and solitude. So fury just kind of looked like a dud compared to all of them. But I mean, I thought it was
1: too. You know.
0: Yeah, and seeing the impact it has on board states, especially in what's turned out to be, I would say, a somewhat mid rangey format that is based on like actually playing creatures. Yeah, and then creatures die a lot. Exactly, and I I think having a fury for that is awesome. Um, and I think once people also got wise to the interaction between Fury and Obosh, where the board clear is more powerful, and then the double-striking attacker is so much more powerful, I think we're starting to see it as a real build-around threat.
1: Yeah, Fury, up-and-comer, keep your eye on, on what decks are using it. Eight decks had Dragon's Rage Channeler. Seven decks were Asmo food-based. That's a little bit less than I actually would have expected based on kind of the initial sort of hype slash fear around these food decks. Uh, after a huge showing, showing in our league dump, there was no deck in the top 32 on Saturday that had Solitude. And only two decks on Sunday had Solitude. And that is the white uh, Swords to Plowshares elemental that was everywhere in, uh, in the league dump. Mm-hmm. So let's look at what's kind of trending downward or perhaps maybe staying pretty flat. And I think that's uh, cascade decks. Like there's only three shardless agent type strategies across both our challenges that we looked at. I think it's still viable. Like three is what? That's like 5%, 4.5%. And that's perfectly reasonable. You know what I mean? To have you that kind of representation, but it doesn't seem like it's overpowered, which is good. Uh, some of the things that I think have took really big hits were hardened scales decks. Only one of those across both of our challenges and Grief, one deck with Grief across 64 decks, the initial most feared, most hyped card
0: uh, does not seem like people are, are taking it to these challenges. I wonder if it's because Asmore has kind of proven itself to be just such a powerful standout strategy that the Grief cascade scale stuff is more cute than, you know, powerful. Good decks, of course, but maybe they just don't hold a candle to what Asmor is, is, is doing right now.
1: Or I mean, maybe they can't
0: keep up with Prowess either, because I think Prowess is still sort of policing the format. So, subtly. Yeah, that's
1: that's the thing, right? Is like, I, I like to ask myself or ask anyone who's saying, like, should I play this deck? Is, like, is this deck doing something that attacks on a different angle, or better than another deck is doing a similar thing, right? So one of the issues I think with scales decks is that they fold to some of the same hate that you want to expect where it's like they they both get hit by artifact and by graveyard hate because modular and uh things like hangerback walker cards have to die, right? And they have to go to the graveyard. And if they don't go to the graveyard, these functions don't work. And so when people are attacking Uh, These artifact based strategies and these graveyard based strategies in ways that make you sad, then yeah, I think Hardened Scale is going to get hit by both those kind of angles. Uh, And, you know, like you said, Stan is like, whoa, oh, Prowess is still really good. It's still (laughs) aggressive. It still kills my chief creatures and, you know, gets in for huge chunks of damage on turn three and turn four. And so a lot of these other grindy decks need a little bit more time to set up. And so it's just like, yeah, they can get uh, they can get under it. So if your deck doesn't get su- successfully under it, while also avoiding hate, then what's the point? And I don't know. It's, it's I think that really what I think is that nothing. Tell me what standing, you really think.
0: Not, you nothing. Really
1: think. Nothing standing out right now. I think we have some up and comers. We had four hammer time decks. Another just basically one of the pure aggro decks in the format. Like why why do why do modular. When you can beat people with a giant hammer, you know what I mean. (laughs) Like if you want an artifacts energy deck, and that why not? Why not hammer time? Why not? Why not Yawgmoth for like a creature beatdown deck that doesn't really care about removal as much and can combo you out with Yawgmoth? Three Yawgmoth decks in our sixty-four. So nothing standing out too crazily besides
0: Urza Saga being over a third of the decks in the challenges. But I mean, I think food stands out. What stands out is cards and packages, right? The Ragavan, yes, yes. as a as a one-mana threat, I think, stands out. Urza Saga as just a land that does everything stands out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Dragon's Raid <laughs> Challenger is popular. Uh Asma food decks are popular. So we are seeing some of these new and old important cards, like you know, like you said, Urza Saga, Ragavan, Stoneforge Mystic, maybe even Fury, Dragon's Raid Channeler, Asmo, uh, and the cookbook and things like that. I think. I think that's those are interesting new things to to look at and be like. Well, how do we fight these decks on these different angles? When, as we'll talk about, they're not even in the same kinds of decks in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different ways people are playing these new cards, and that's actually what I'm really hyped about to talk with you in the dive down segment, Dan. Is old decks made new again? Some of these new awesome cards. We're going to talk about these cards, assess the decks that they're uh, being played in, give you our play experiences, and do a little bit of a mini dive into uh, our thoughts and feelings about some of these new pillars. So stay with us.
0: And we're back. So Shane and I, we played a bunch of decks and there turned out to be one deck where we had a little bit of overlap. So I think we'll save that for last. Mm. You did a great job with that breakdown oh thank you stan i'm here for you really contextualizing the tournaments and the format and really the competitive landscape i'm gonna do you a favor you didn't mm-hmm. ask but i insist i'm gonna give your voice a break well while, while <sighs> i take a minute to talk All about hydrate. Jeskai. it's, a, it's another oh, man, my my three favorite colors in magic <laughs> that's not true um or maybe they are we'll find out just guy is it control is it stone blade is it Monkey Blade, a lot of different names for this. what this deck is up to, and I'm going to talk about it. And what I did is I basically grabbed the uh, first place Modern Challenge deck from last week. I believe it was last Sunday by a player named Thunder Striker 7. And we saw very similar versions of this deck uh, recently. And you know, one of the reasons why I picked it up is because I wanted to play around with Ragavan in particular, I also wanted to play around with Counterspell in Modern Finally, Beloved Card. Wanted to see what it's doing in the format. And likewise, I wanted to experiment with Cauldra Complete. Just because we saw it make a big splash last week, and being a fan of Stoneforge strategies, I wanted to see how it compares to Batterskull and Swords, and how it really works in a mid rangey Stoneforge deck in general. So, let's talk about the makeup of this deck real quick. Ten creatures. Four Stoneforge. 4 Ragavan, 2 Snapcaster Mage. Boring. I need at least 25 creatures. Depends who you ask. Really? Wait, Shane. Did all of your decks this week have 25 creatures? No, they did not. We got some Planeswalkers. This is a, a Jeskai controlling deck. Couple of Jace and a Teferi Time Raveler. Three artifacts for your Stoneforge package. A Sword of Feast and Famine, a Batterskull, and a Cauldron Complete. And then finally, 21 spells. You have your Bolts, your Prismatic Endings, Counterspells, og counterspell archmage's charm cryptic command force of negation so far so good i mean it depends on who you ask (laughs) you know what i'll say if nothing else it's a very clean looking deck that's the most important thing is how does it look
1: in a list on goldfish it's clean nice little 75 card package what's this weird this weird sort of feast and famine still hanging out can't
0: get rid of it yeah yeah I, i think i'll I'll spend some time talking about swords versus the living weapon artifacts because there is something happening there that we might see more iterations on in the future. But what I'll do for this particular segment is I want to talk a little bit about car talk about the deck card by card and how I felt playing with some of these new cards. Because from a gameplay perspective, a Stoneforge deck in a you know blue white X shell is yeah. always going to play pretty similarly. But Ragavan and Lightning Bolt are essentially your only red spells yeah so what so I'm, I'm i was curious like are they worth splashing red what are they really contributing to this deck and and how do they pair with the format first though can i talk about counter please how how much i love casting counterspell; <laughs> it's a dream come true oh man it's a good spell it was one of my top picks for the format i thought people were maybe undervaluating how impactful it would be We may have talked about this last week where I think it's doing exactly what we expected, where it's just like outwardly replacing every subpar counterspell. Yeah. There's no reason to play Mana Leak as far as I'm concerned. Basically no reason to play Logic not. But now we can just do a nice clean package of, you know, three to four counterspells, three to four Archmage's Charm, where if you need a counter or a card advantage engine, and then some number of Cryptic Commands.
1: And I, I expect you to talk about this, Dan, in terms of your your feelings on the, that that package. But facing down that suite of counter magic and Archmage's Charm being able to to do a little yoinky yoink, mm-hmm. that sucks. I really hate facing this down like that two to three to four like optionality that you get, and just that little sort of counter magic curve. And as you keep playing your your lands and holding up. The counter magic. It's just like, well, I have one big threat. I need to stick, and they're gonna keep holding up magic and making holding up their mana and making land drops. And even if I test this, there's no reason for me to test it because, like, if they have it, I've got nothing. So I've just have to wait to maybe draw into my own counter magic or when I can double spell or something like that. And man, it's brutal. Like counter spell always feels better than, like you said, like a mana leak or a logic knot, and. I played with some counter spells this week as well, and yeah, it just always does what you want.
0: Yeah, and you know, I can see the number of Archmage's Charm maybe coming and going up and down over time. I think it's particularly relevant now because it can steal a Ragavan, and Ragavan being so important in the format. Stand,
1: Stan, you can steal an Asmo, you can steal a construct. If you have some artifacts on your side, perhaps, but like it's just like you can you can do so much with charm right now because the threats are so cheap. You can steal a DRC. There's just all these hyper efficient threats
0: that if you don't need to counter something, do a little yoink. Now, mm-hmm. yeah. one of my favorite things to do with counterspell is to play to hold it up on turn four after playing, you know, another two drop. So whether I'm dashing yeah. in Ragavan or more realistically playing my Stoneforge Mystic. Counterspell being a two-mana hard answer to essentially everything in the format made me feel like it's almost this DIY cryptic command that has infinite modes, depending on what else you're double-spelling with it. Mm, mm -hmm. So it's great. I love playing with Counterspell, and I I can definitely see myself running more Counterspell decks in the future. This card, in and of itself, total sleeve. Let's talk about Prismatic Ending. This is one of the new cards introduced to the format. This is the X, White, Sorcery with Converge. Exile target non-land permanent if its mana value is less than or equal to the number of colors of mana spent to cast the spell. I'll admit, I think this card is a little hard to read and understand because the X in the CMC kind of conveys that it's going to have some kind of effect on you know, what the card does. Yeah. So so I wrote a little cheat sheet out to kind of help break down the impact of Prismatic Ending in actual games because the X only kind of sort of matters, but it doesn't matter in the way that it does on something like Engineered Explosives, for example. Prismatic Ending is a removal spell where for one mana, it exiles one drops or zero mana spells, or zero mana permanents, rather. So if you're just casting it for white and not spending anything on that X, it'll get rid of Your YouTube Sprawls, it'll get rid of your Asmors, it'll get rid of, you know, mana dorks, what have you. Mm -hmm. For two mana, if you're using two colors, it'll exile two drops and below. Yes. Likewise, three mana, three colors, it exiles three drops. Yes. So the CMC of your opponent's permanents matter, but the X in the casting cost, although it's confusing, isn't really the important part of this spell.
1: Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, it's just the the colors that are involved in your casting. And this is, I think, perhaps a good time to remind people, further confuse the issue, perhaps, like how Thalia works, interestingly, with these sunburst or converge style effects. Like, this kind of gets to what Stan was saying is like, what these spells do, or rather, these mechanics do, is check to see, like, what mana was paid when you cast the spell, regardless of what the cost was for. So let's say like your opponent has Athalia out and you want to prismatic ending her, right? Paying uh what you you normally have to pay uh two mana for that, right? Like rather pay two separate colors which would essentially force you into paying two mana almost what 99% of the time, right? Mm-hmm. But then you're like, "Oh, wait, Athalia has taxing effect. So don't I have to pay 3 to do so?" No, you do not. Because uh, when you you could you could basically target Thalia for one, you could target her for let's say white mana, and then for the tax that you are required to pay, you could pay any other color of mana, and that is two colors spent. And so, like Stan said, it the X does not matter; it is the colors that are involved in casting the spell. So Thalia could get exiled with Prismatic Ending by paying her tax, because it re- forces you to pay a second color. So even though she's two mana value, and you paid, uh, you paid two different colors, so she's gone, right? And uh, the slight increase in Engineered Explosives we're seeing, uh, I'll mention this kind of works in the same way for that card. Like any colored mana you pay towards Sunburst, like Engineered Explosives, puts a counter on it, even if it's paid as part of a tax. So let's say you want EE on zero. Let's say there's some rhinos out there or something like that. It's just the, the Rhino Taxes deck or something like that, whatever, right? Uh, if you want EE on zero, and there's a Thalia out, and you have to pay one, you would have to have access to colorless mana in order to keep it at zero counters on the EE. E. Because otherwise, if you pay any color, it's going to put a, a Sunburst counter on it. So just keep that in mind. I think Thalia, I'm seeing a little bit more of her lately with a sort of white, uh, vile, Taxes-y style decks. So just keep that in mind playing with or against uh, Converge or Sunburst effects right now. That ends my little tutorial. Sorry, I pre- Stan.
0: No, no. I I think that's really important just because Thalia creates really confusing interactions. This is kind of a confusing spell when you're new to it. So I appreciate that. I want to say, just kind of as a, as, a, as a closing point on Prismatic Ending, this card is impressive. Good card. It can sometimes feel frustrating because you'll be facing down you know, a four or five drop and it'll be, I don't know, let's say it's Garruk, Wild Speaker. It's just this four mana green spell and part of my brain wants to think that, oh, it's a mono co- single color spell. I should be able to answer with Prismatic Vista, but because I'm on a three color deck, I cannot. Yeah, and Path to Exile is largely reduced to sideboards now. It really has, yeah.
1: Everyone's everyone's testing out or just deciding that Prismatic Ending is, is better and yeah, it does help. Even if, it, even if it's a sorcery speed, you're not wrapping your opponent. So that's, that, that kind of turn you're taking off to do it on your turn is at least not advancing your opponent's ability to to cast spells. So some, it just seems like it's worth it right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And th- th- not only the fact that it answers any type of permanent, but... Oh, and that. P- p- Path to Exile, it's a ramp spell for your opponent, too. It can be a little awkward. But enough about these non-creature spells, though. Let's talk about monkeys. L- let's talk about the monkey in the room. Please. To Ragavan or not to Ragavan? <laughs> Is that really a question? So it's a great card. And it does a lot when it sticks around and it connects with your opponent. But it's also, I think, in some cases, a really weird, awkward card to play. Because if they have, you know... Anything? A 3-3 three, three, or a 2-2 two, two even, and you don't have a lightning bolt, it's just like, it feels awkward casting a monkey into that situation. Like a lot of one-drop aggressive red creatures, though, if you can call this an aggressive red creature, it's great on turn one on the play. And, and can even sort of transform this deck into a pretty low-to-the-ground tempo strategy in a way that Jeskai Stoneblade wasn't previously. When it was mostly about Stoneforges and, and Snapcasters, you didn't necessarily have as many early threats to protect. But with Monkey, you have a very important early threat to protect because it can generate so much mana and, and card advantage throughout the game. But it being a, a, a dud on the one hand, makes the dash ability better, I think, because if it's in your hand, you don't want to cast it into your opponent's board because they can just block it. Um, You can then save it for when they maybe tap out with their creatures, swing out in a non-lethal state, and then you have an opportunity to actually dash out a monkey, make some mana, get a card off them, potentially.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting about the dash for me... Is the the dash is like a really cool option that has some potential upside, right? Where it's like, well, I don't expose this to prismatic ending, I don't expose it to other sorcery speed removal. I'm able to take advantage of like uh, a, a hole in your defenses. Um, but one of the real issues I felt, Stan, is like the the dash still put it puts the card back in your hand, like it puts Ragaman back in your hand, right? So like it's it's. It's very, it's very temporary, and like it gives you no board presence. It really, you really have to feel like you are getting a lot out of that dash. But it's also just good because, like, yeah, I have extra mana. I can do this. Why not?
0: The other thing about the dash that I think is a little unintuitive is the monkey bounces back to your hand at your end step. So in theory, you can't swing in with the dash, then use the treasure token to recast that monkey, unless... You happen to have one of your Teferi Time Ravelers out. And I oh, actually man. I'm so glad we finally mentioned Teferi Time Raveler. <laughs> it took a while. I thought that the interaction between a dashed monkey and time raveler is a really nice way to use that minus two ability on it on, on the planeswalker to bounce the monkey back to your hand and then recast it after you've attacked with it, because then the that dash trigger fizzles. You don't actually have to bounce it back to your hand at the end of the turn. And you can stand it present a, a keep a body an untapped body on the board while doing whatever else you've you've done that turn
1: stan i've noticed that this deck only runs one teferi time Raveller. would you run more like do you like do you think that let's say sword of feast and famine is that better than a second teferi time
0: Raveller? is the i don't know so it, it, there was a second teferi in the sideboard but this isn't a teferi deck this isn't really a control deck this Stan, Tem- aren't all decks for you Teferi decks. I wish. I can't find a way to play Mimpanza. But this is a tempo deck. And I and I think that's kind of one of the things that I had to come around to is that between the turn one monkey that you want to protect with either counter magic or removal or a turn two stoneforge mystic that you want to protect with those spells, it's really more about presenting something early in the game, some kind of threat that can generate a ton of value and and really protecting it with your suite of counter magic and removal. Um, almost plays out like a like a Delver deck in that regard. Weird. Delver decks? We didn't play you know. any of those this week. By the way, as long as we're still on Monkey, I, I, I almost feel like we can't talk about this card for too long because it's so crazy. I feel like the lack of evasion is also really annoying. And in at least in this deck or in some decks, I wonder if people might be playing Monkey when they should, in fact, be playing a Dragon's Rage Channeler or maybe, like, probably not Delver of Secrets, but, you know, some early threat that actually has evasion. That likewise can capitalize on the fact that you have a lot of different non-creature spells in your deck.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like for this deck, what Ragavan's doing, and you can tell me if this felt this way, is it's sort of just giving you mana to cast your cheap spells or like just put you a little bit ahead. Where it's like, okay, on turn two, I have access to three mana, which lets me do a counter spell and a lightning bolt or like I'm able to prismatic ending and hold up a counter spell or I can get to my archmage's charm or my cryptic command a little bit earlier. And so it just kind of gets you a little bit ahead of the curve and perhaps a lot ahead of the curve. If it goes unanswered for a while, because like you said, that's like a, it's a tempo y style deck where it's like, I have must answer threats in ragaban and stoneforge mystic. And if I have any amount of counter magic, uh, then I'm able to
0: sort of protect those and really pull ahead strongly. I do think that between Ragavan and Dragons Rage Channeler, the coffin on Delver of Secrets in Modern is all but sealed shut.
1: Yeah, and I'll talk about my experiences playing Literal Delver in a minute. What I think is also interesting to hear, Stan, is I think that DRC is is probably superior in a proactive deck because you want to cast your spells on your turn, which then digs you through your deck to get more spells that you want to be casting or enabling the delirium aspect and in this deck drc you're not going to be like okay it's my turn too i'm untapping and i'm casting oh wait like what am i casting i'm not casting my cheap red uh, prowess spells i'm not casting my creature interaction because everything i have is reactive or most of what i have is reactive and so what ragavan I think in a style of deck like this is saying, hey, uh, I have more more mana resources, and I'm presenting a threat that you have to deal with along with my Stoneforge Mystic, which is kind of typically the threat that is sort of must deal with in a deck like this. So it's sort of saying, hey, I'm opening up my creature options, and I'm getting ahead on mana, and I'm putting pressure on you, uh, and I don't think DRC fits in that same style.
0: Mm-hmm. Did, did you get to play with the monkey this weekend or, or for this episode? Oh, I did.
1: I played with some monkeys.
0: Cool. Do you do you want to talk about your experiences with it now or should we kind of save it for a little monkey chat uh, toward the
1: end? I, I want to talk a little bit about what monkey is doing to the format or what monkey is seemingly like what, where it's fitting in the format and why I think people, they're not talking about bands by any means, but I think it's really wild about how big of a portion Ragaman was of our weekend challenges in 18 of the 64 decks like i mentioned in the breakdown but it's in all kinds of different decks right it's like it's in these sort of controlling y tempo jeskai control e style decks it's in the traditional delver style tempo decks it's in these urza food artifact synergy decks because why not it's another it's a powerful threat that also makes artifacts and gets you ahead of the curve um it's in gruul panza it's in mono red obash it's in Rakdos or Jund style mid-rangey grindy strategies. It's even in five color Niv. It's like a three of in one of the challenges this weekend because why not? Like it's a it's just a it's a it's a threat that you want to be able to cast and getting ahead on mana, maybe even like I think it's casting your opponent's spells is like sometimes who cares? Like just making making free cardboard, making free mana is good. Surprise. And and it just fits in so many different ways of playing Magic
0: right now. One thing I can't fully decide to wrap my head around is whether this is an aggressive creature or a mid-rangey creature.
1: That's a good question. I think it is currently, we're seeing it in mid-rangey decks that want to get ahead. Where it's like, hey, uh, I'm going to present just yet another, like I keep talk- calling it, like a must-answer threat early. That gets me ahead if you don't answer it, and if you did, then it leaves you with one less piece of creature interaction for my two drop, for my three drop, and and for my or my my Urza at four or something like that. Where it's like, hey, uh, yeah, you you spent your prismatic ending on that because you felt like you had to, and now I just get the opportunity to play something more powerful on turn two, my
0: Stoneforge Mystic or something like that. I I will say, the times that I do connect with Monkey and it exiles an actual non-creature spell. I'm not casting my opponent's spells all that often because no. the the matches where I got to do that and and maybe this is just kind of a condition of modern right now. These decks are so synergistic that unless I'm just flipping another monkey perhaps that I don't want to cast since I have a legend, it, I I rarely find myself in a scenario where I actually want to cast my opponent's spells and I'm typically more interested in just having that extra mana. Yeah, or the artifact
1: mm-hmm. for your constructs or something like that, or to enable your affinity, or to enable your you know improvised and stuff like that. It's just like,
0: cardboard is good. Yeah. Making cardboard is good. Okay, that was a lot of monkey talk. Um, I mean, it's, uh, a, it's a very important card, so. Yeah, we'll probably get back to it even. But I want to talk a bit about Caldera Complete. Another reason why I tested this deck was to see how this new seven mana living weapon worked, and it's good. <laughs> Weird. I purchased one after playing with this deck. I purchased one in paper after playing with this deck online because I thought it was pretty cheap. It was just north of ten bucks. Stan, guess
1: uh, guess what your boy bought today? Is it culture complete? No. Guess what? <laughs> uh, I I rebought Stoneforge Mystics. Heck yeah! Because man,
0: I has got a. Do you also did you also rebuy some Bobs?
1: <laughs> no, I did not buy like my fourth play set of Dark Confidants. No, okay, that's good. Nor nor Snapcasters.
0: So culture complete. You know, you were talking about swords. Whether or not it's worth even the playing s-words. swords. Yeah, I did not cut any swords from the deck that I was playing. Cut any swords. I like that, Stan. Nor am I ready to advocate that we should remove swords from our Stoneforge decks but I do think it is actually defensible to do so. And I totally understand why we were seeing some of those black-white Stoneforge decks just running Cauldra and Batterskull. Especially because Cauldra, Complete, and Batterskull complement each other really, really nicely. Where, unless I was specifically desperate for life gain, or thought that, you know, the vigilance on Batterskull was relevant, I just found myself fetching Complete as soon as possible in most other situations, because it's both really hard to remove really hard to deal with the germ token and it, it it's it's a removal spell and a threat any creature it touches will not trade with it and likewise it exiles them and I think that's just one of the other many things on this on this card that's just buried in text that until you play with it and you start to realize oh opponents can't even really block it just because they're going to lose any creatures that they have too Stan yeah I mean it's 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 absurd but uh, more, more importantly,
1: is living weapon, does that is that always shorthand for make a zero zero black germ creature token, then attach a weapon to it? Like, is Cauldra being held by a zero zero black germ token?
0: Correct. Yes. Oh
1: man, that opens up my eyes. My eyes are wide. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Cauldra Complete absurd. I haven't had it actually cast against me at all in all the games that I've played this like week, and I've played a, quite a few. So I, I can't speak to how absurd it seems, but let me tell you what seems pretty absurd like yep. i think stone forge mystic is more of a must kill than ever right now and that's a good place to be and that's probably why we're seeing so much of her in the in the
0: challenges I, I think one of the reasons why we we might even be seeing swords in decks like this compared to those black white decks is that ragavan is a nice creature to carry a sort of feast and famine or maybe a, a fire ice out of the sideboard <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm just imagining ragavan carrying like a gigantic batter skull
0: dude It just like is yelling monkeys are strong I don't know yeah, if you know I mean, that but if you if you pick oh, a fight yeah. with Can a chimpanzee you, oh, my, yeah you'd be torn apart you'd be torn up, you'd be torn to, <laughs> to shreds um, but you know I, I was sort of lamenting how Ragavan doesn't have any evasion the monkey carrying a sword gives it some of that evasion so that you're depending on what you're playing against you're almost guaranteed to make a treasure token and maybe even draw a card while also doing whatever else the sword does for you
1: Man, that's a flavor win stand, too. Monkey
0: sword, monkey blade.
1: Yeah. What else? Anything else you left to talk about this
0: deck? Any kind of new tech stuff you liked? You know, it did have some subtleties in the side, which was nice. It had some force of negations main, which is okay. I don't know what else there's to say. This is maybe the best Jeskai deck I've ever played. Whoa. It, in like the contemporary modern era. Yeah, Esper Control had sort of outmoded Blue-White and, and Jeskai decks previous to Modern Horizons 2. And I do think Esper might be the better way to play a more controlling Blue-White deck. But Jeskai, just because of Ragavan, I think might be the best way to play the more tempo aggro strategy. Yeah, um, Because, you you know, your curve doesn't... Your curve tops out at 4 with, with Jace. Um, as opposed to something like the Esper decks, which are actually playing Teferi Hero of Dominaria.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting, Stan, that you when you call this a tempo deck and not a control deck, it does sort of reframe its position and its its play style in my mind, where it's like, I think people right now are figuring out what speed of tempo deck they should be, like what's the most successful way to sort of play tempo, to play with these new cards like Ragavan, to enable cards like Stoneforge Mystic, like at what how much interaction, how much counter magic, how much proactivity uh is best in the meta.
0: And I think that this is looks like a really solid option. So even though I have been kind of using tempo generously here, I think what this really is is a mid-range deck where it can go both ways. Where you can either go the more aggro route and 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 play the plan where you have your turn one, turn two threats that you protect or you can Take the slower side of mid range and play a more controlling strategy by bringing in more different reactive spells and, and really leaning into your Jaces or your Teferis if you have them. So mid range is good again, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be talking about a, what I would consider a mid range
1: deck, just an entirely different style of mid range deck. And that's—is it Urza food? If you're good with me, moving on. Do you want to
0: hear my my sleeve? Believe he writing? Ah, uh,
1: <sighs> fine. I guess that's the most important
0: part of this episode. So yes, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would sleeve it. Um, I liked it a lot. I think it's a real deck, and I understand why Control Masters are doing really well with it. That know how to, you know, navigate in a lot of different matchups because this does have so many different paths.
1: Yeah, but but it has no paths actually. It has lots of prismatic endings.
0: It's got some paths on the side. It, oh yeah it it is i don't know it's it's a ragavan deck as well as a stoneforge deck and i do think that as, as long as ragavan is good and and in the format assuming he sticks around then i think this is a fine way to build around him in a more tempo strategy that you might not get in other shells
1: yeah yeah right on man i'm uh, i'm hyped that you enjoy it i think i have i mean it depends on how many ragavans i open is going to really impact my future modern deck building yeah let me talk about a Ragaman deck I played. Okay and that is uh, that is this sort of is it Urza food strategy. And it is a lot like these sort of like blue, black, artifact heavy, Urza synergistic decks that we've been you know, we've been mentioning, but it does have red for a number of important spells. And in the main deck it's primarily for Ragaman. There's also a few Lightning Axe to enable uh, Discard, which is helpful for getting your Asmo on the board. Also, just dealing five damage is never too shabby for a single red mana. Um, and in the sideboard, you get a few more red options like uh, Galvanic Blast and braid and her Aether Grid, which is pretty cool, actually, for uh, control strategies and things like that. I actually realized I should have brought this in against some of my control matchups I had, but... Fundamentally, where this deck is built is a lot like the decks we've been talking about. It's got the three Emery and the Oval Chase Daredevil to synergize with the Underworld Cookbook, as a couple street wraith for your discard and cycling synergy. It's got some Urza Lord High Artificer to just be an awesome Urza thing, making making constructs, ramping your mana off of your artifacts, all the things you don't really want to see happen against you. Uh, three metallic rebuke main, which is that counter counterspell, which is more more kind of like a gigantic what ma- mana leak is mana leak is three mana, right? Counter target spell unless here it's a controller pays three. Correct. This is an even cheaper uh, mana leak. Remember, this is Improvise and not affinity for artifacts that had, that did flip uh, mess me up once or twice where I was like, oh, I could just I could cast this for blue mana. Oh wait, I have to tap the artifacts. Genius, Shane. You know, it has all the cheap, cheap artifacts like Mishra's Bobble and Mox Amber, and then kind of like a little bit of a tutoring toolkit off of your Urza Saga. Because of course, this plays Urza Saga, you have Shadow Spear, which is nice to give your constructs Trample and lifelink. Uh Is Shadow Spear
0: one of the things you're fetching with Saga? Is just a way to close out the game eventually?
1: Oh, exactly. It's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, they have a, few, they have some Chump Blockers. Well, it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. I've made, I've made two constructs. And now I have a shadow spear and I'm going to put one on this construct and like very quickly put a clock on my opponent. Yeah. Um, Spring Leaf from to keep your mana alive when you don't want to go down on mana off of the Urza saga soul guide lantern to deal with like graveyard strategies that you want to be able to stop off the tutor. Aether spell bombs. Interesting. I'm sure there's probably some loops that are better than kind of the very simple, uh, sacrifice aether spellbomb for a single colorless mana, draw a card. Uh, and then you can kind of get that back with your Emery. or you can sacrifice aether spellbomb for a blue mana and return target creature to its owner's hand, which is nice for you know bouncing an opposing construct or something like that or it doesn't
0: actually go to a hand because it's it's a you know it's a token. You can even use it on your own uh, thought monitors to draw even extra cards
1: or protect your important spells against removal like if you really need to have an asmo down you know you can save it from removal with the aether spell bomb I I did that I didn't actually get me the win but I think it did I,
0: I needed it otherwise I was going to lose even harder Yeah I also love that the spell bombs aren't tap abilities so you can you, if you have an Urza out you can tap mm-hmm. it as as a Mox emerald <laughs> Yeah handy Urza's handy like that
1: and then, of course, uh, I think I mentioned Thought Monitor, but what really what the way this deck plays out is it is an artifact synergy deck heavily based on blue that uses a lot of good spells and lands. like There is a saga and emery and cheap artifacts to get your emery done quickly and do emery loops out of the graveyard. Uh, you are able to create a ton of artifacts with things like ASMO and the Oval Chase Daredevil loop with the cookbook, and I want to talk about that for a second. And it is not good for the <laughs> format. It's I, I I think it's honestly it's the stupidest thing that shouldn't feel as broken as it does. But when you have two cookbooks down and you're looping a, a Daredevil. The game feels essentially unlosable, like unless you're against a deck that doesn't have creatures, like there's combo decks or even control decks where you're looping daredevils till the the bartered cow comes home, but you're not doing anything proactive because you're just making artifacts. And those can be good if your opponent's not, let's say, terminusing your two constructs or something like that, right? Yeah. But... Yeah, any creature strategy and you're creating a bunch of foods and removing them with asthma, it's just
0: like good game. What if the problem is Oval Chase Daredevil? Because hear me out. Discarding a card to make a food should be card disadvantage. But Oval yeah. Chase neutralizes that, where it it's it's card neutral. Yeah. It's
1: it's I mean it's actually a card advantage for you because like I was kind of mentioning earlier on, is that this deck's just making cardboard. This deck's mm-hmm. making lots of free cardboard. It's kind of a it's this is this is one of the things that I have picked up from uh, Jerry over on Arena Decklist, Jerry Thompson, of course. And one of the things that he I think picks up on is the value of cardboard. And and I think both of the hosts on Arena Decklist do is they pick up on the value of cardboard in Magic nowadays. So if you have things that are incidentally creating a food or creating a thopter, or creating a you know a clue token or anything that is able to just put another piece of cardboard on the thing, on the, on, the, on the battlefield, Urza Saga, of course, is something that's doing that very well. It's if, if you don't need to do anything proactive, and this deck is not super proactive, you're able to sort of sit back, create your constructs out of Urza Saga, you're able to play a bunch of cheap artifacts, you're able to then, when Saga pops, you're able to get maybe a Shadow Spear, or an Aether Spell bomb or anything that seems valuable to you at the time, you're slowly, when you play this deck, you sort of find yourself casting Thought Monitors much earlier than you anticipated. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I have five artifacts. So I'm just casting this two-mana Thought Monitor, and I'm getting a two, it's flying 2-2 that draws me into more cards, which is exactly what a deck like this wants to be doing. You're getting stuff back out of the graveyard with Emery because you can, you can toss it to your... Underworld cookbook, if you want. Emery's naturally milling things. You're doing things like you can you know, do the Mox Amber style loops. You can get your baubles back. It's all this kind of just a little stuff that's always been part of these Urza decks. But then when you just add more artifacts, whether it's in the form of food because of your Daredevil loops or in the form of like the asthma cookbook stuff, it's just like I'm, uh, I'm just being able to toss stuff that I don't need, get it back with Emery, do those kind of loops, Ragavan. I waited this long to talk about Ragavan. Ragavan's your one drop. It's your mm-hmm. aggressive tempo forward mana advantage slash artifact synergy engine where it's like, Hey uh, opponent, you need to kill this or I'm going to be casting my stuff ahead of curve and make my constructs bigger or enable my metallic rebuke or enable my uh,
0: Emery a turn earlier or something like that. It's just like all these little efficiencies. All right. I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about playing the deck. And, yeah. and, and some of the sequencing behind it, and, and I have a handful of questions. One, no, is, this is not my style. I do want to preface
1: the answers to these questions, which is yeah. like, this is not my style of deck. This is much grindier than I am used to playing, uh, so, and I am not expert at it. But I did have a, I was, I was, it was easier than I thought. So ask me some questions away, my friend.
0: Cool, cool, cool. So let's say you have an opening hand with a land, uh Ragavan. An Asmore and a Asmor yeah. street Wraith. Perfect. You're are you leading with and you're in the blind on the play. Are you leading yeah. with Asmore or Ragaman? No, Ragaman,
1: always. Why? Because Ragaman just gets you ahead with artif- with artifacts and or mana. Do you know what I mean? Like Asmo is not getting me ahead on anything besides just uh the potential for the cookbook style stuff. So Ragaman is doing one of two things. One is like let's say the opponent plays something they play maybe a creature
0: an arbor elf
1: yeah well like that's fine because then they either have to trade with their valuable arbor like every one drop in this game is valuable now right yeah. no one wants to trade so you 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 force the trade with the ragavan on almost anything that's down there and then otherwise if they don't if they're like well this this arbor elf is so valuable that i need to keep it for when i i need to get ahead on mana with my utopia sprawl. Then that's when you start enabling things like your metallic rebukes, where you're countering the stuff that they're playing off of the utopia sprawl that they're eventually going to be doing. Or that's going to be able, it's going to enable you to get your Urza down a turn earlier or your thought monitor down a turn earlier. And then by then at that point, like you, you probably, hopefully you're getting your asthma down fast too. And you're removing anything they're playing because you have, you know, a, a minus six, a gigantic, uh, uh, terminate slash dismember style effect that kind of invalidates any kind of creature based strategy by and large. So Mm -hmm. I don't know the, the main advantage I think, Stan of, of having Ragavan in a deck like this and why I think the, the, is it build or, I mean, you could call this Grixis, but it's not really because it's not running any black spells that you want to cast. Yeah. Although funnily enough, uh, I was playing it's mill And I I got two treasure tokens down. This was against uh, Aaron, actually. Uh, We randomly paired against each other in the tournament practice room. Uh, I did have two treasure tokens down. And I needed to be one turn faster than I was against Mill. And I had a Street Wraith in hand. And so I hard cast the Street Wraith with two treasure tokens and three regular mana. Because that would have given me the clock I needed to kill him. Uh, but then he he had he counterspelled my my hard, hard cast street Wraith, which was a sequence that I did not expect
0: to have happened, but it worked out in his favor. Speaking of sequence, God, I love that yeah. you use that word. What an excellent transition! This deck, I'm looking at it. It's highly synergistic. Not it's extric- a, it It's it is it's just a synergy deck. Like it's a capital S deck. synergy. But it's I don't think we would call it a combo deck. Right? Because it's, no, it's no. trying to grind out a longer game and accrue a value through a lot of different tools.
1: Yeah, I think I think ultimately it's gonna wanna win with constructs
0: or chip damage. Sure. My question, are you mulliganing to anything in particular, or are you able to kind of keep a hand that's just lands and spells? That's I did find mulling with this deck actually kind of challenging
1: because there were kind of a lot of do-nothing hands or what I felt were do-nothing hands where it's like, well, I can't get these two Asmos onto the battlefield, so they're useless. Or, well, I have like an an Urza and a Metallic Rebuke and not much else types, or again, a Street Wraith. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I did feel like there were some openers you wanted to see more than others. And I think it's kind of the stuff you would expect, right? Which is like, I need to get artifacts for my artifacts energy deck to work. So like the dream hands are the fast like Emery hands where you're like deploying your like five permanents onto the battlefield and you're like, you know, good luck, opponent. And but there are slower hands where it's like, well, I know I'm playing it's a creature deck and I need to get my asthma online because that gets my food online. And I'm looping Daredevils, and I'm sort of clearing anything that matters on on their battlefield. Or I have a lightning axe or something like that. So it's mildly contextual, but largely I feel like there are hands where you're like, this is way too slow. Or this doesn't mm-hmm. do anything. And that's really, I think, comes with experience. And I didn't have, I mean, honestly, it's the type of deck that doesn't come naturally to me. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't even play a league with this one. I just played like a bunch of practice run matches to kind of get my feet wet and get a feel for it. And largely, to get to the point, because we are actually already at 90 minutes almost about on my clock, is uh, I think it's really good, but it's also really slow. Like, it does feel slow. It feels slow to get online. It feels slow to kind of turn the corner. I hated playing against control decks with this. Because, like, if I didn't have a Metallic Rebuke to protect my own spells, like, I can't just cast my Urza into the blind. Because like I I I really need that to resolve, or like they are doing some terminus shenanigans with their brainstone to clear my two constructs I made with Urza Saga that I was really relying on, and then they're able to get rid of both of them very handily. Or uh, the like the aforementioned archmage's charm steals my asmo or or gets rid of one of my my constructs or something like that or steals my ragavan you know something like that where there's a lot of threats that are at risk along with the opponent able to keep up counter magic where it's just like well i don't know how i'm playing into that because i'm making a bunch of food but i'm not doing anything you know what I mean? Like, I'm not putting, you're not, you're not easily putting pressure on the opponent if they have the ability to deal with Urza Saga, if they have the ability to uh, get rid of your Urza or counteract your Urza. Thought Monitor is only a 2-2, Asmo is only a 3-3, Ragaman only a 2-1. So there's a lot of stuff that, you know, you're not presenting major threats outside of Constructs and their people are becoming more aware of what they need to do to stop those ideas, I think. Did you like playing the deck? You know what I did? It's weird. I liked playing it. It felt... Synergy is fun when it works. And it does work in this deck. I'd give it a sleeve, but I do think that this is one of those decks that needs to stay ahead of the meta. And I don't... And I'm not the person that's smart enough to know how to do that. But I do feel like this is not something that you can keep bringing the same 75 every week. It's too it's too novel in what it's trying to do. And people can, I think, react to it. Especially if it wins a challenge. You know what I mean? Yeah. Stan... So yeah, I gave it a sleeve. I think it's good. I would if you like if you if this interests you, I think you could do a lot worse than than this deck. But do be aware that you know Urza Saga is a card that people are trying to beat right now. I face down Ghost Quarters, I face down Blood Moons, I face down Field of Ruins, I face down uh what's that one in the red spell you A know braid? What I'm talking about? <laughs> oh no, not that one. But yeah, there's just a bunch of stuff that, that hits one what you're doing. And
0: a red spell. Oh, oh, cleansing wildfire. Yeah, that one. Oh, uh, anyway, th- th- this brings up a good question, though. Yeah. How resilient is it to hate? You know, I think I think you know people talk about Urza Saga as being potentially too strong, and there being answers to it in the format isn't enough to really keep it in check. I think that's even a position I've heard you cite. D- did you feel like if people are spending a card, maybe they're not spending a card because if, if they're playing Cleansing Wildfire, but let's say someone is is using their resources to answer the saga just do you just shrug or is it actually a setback because you do eventually lose a land?
1: I think in this deck, it's kind of a setback because you are relying on it, doing what you need to do while you can sit back. Mm -hmm. So if someone kind of gets like someone can bounce it or tap it with ice from fire and ice, and then you can't make your construct Mm -hmm. because it's been tapped down or something like that on turn two or turn three rather. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's nice. Um, I don't know. I want to talk about Urza Saga kind of at the end of this episode a little bit. Kind of just sort of tie put a, tie a bow on a lot of the cards that we've
0: sort of played with and against. Let, last question for you, though. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry to make you dwell on, on your play experience. I no, feel like fine. this deck... No, please accept my apology. I feel like this deck is maybe one where I would ask, is this actually the best deck in the format today? And, and I don't have the answer for that. I haven't played with it. Do you have a feeling one way or the other? I don't think that this deck did not feel like the
1: best deck in the format. I felt like there were definitely holes in this game. It it almost feels like a meta deck where it's like I'm I'm responding to creature strategies and not necessarily control strategies because mm-hmm. I don't really know mm-hmm. how this deck deals with control decks. Maybe I'm missing it, uh, but maybe it needs more counter magic. Maybe it needs access to. Uh more counter spells on the side. I just you know, I think this deck can be built for certain metas, but I didn't feel I felt like maybe I was three days behind playing it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I, I did play against it while I was on Just Kai and the games did go long, as you put it, but I didn't actually feel like they had an advantage over me. But again, I had like twelve counter spells in my deck, so
1: that's pretty good. Oh yeah, it's 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 ruthless. So let's spend the last you know twenty, forty-five minutes. Sorry, Tanner, on Delver strategies, because I feel like this is another one of the decks that is feeling like it's breaking out. It's incorporating popular spells and popular creatures and uh, even running some old classics. And I'll talk first about, we both play decks like this, I think,
0: right, Stan? Sort of. So although I didn't play the actual Delver version that you did. Mm-hmm. I played a similar deck. Um, I messed around with an Is it deck that our, our patron Jesse, um, Moto user Alana Lana, um, <laughs> got a four zero and a prelim with last week.
1: Nice, nice so, work. Uh,
0: yeah, I was really eager to to try that out because the two had you know Ragavans, Dragon Rage Channelers, and counterspells. What, what was your version like?
1: So the first version I played was a five-zero league deck from the fifteenth, which also already feels like like a eon ago, and it was basically four Delver, four DRC, four Merktide Regent, three Subtlety, and then a pile of spells that you would expect like Bolt, Serum Visions, Thought Scour, Unholy Heat, Expressive Iteration, Force of Negation, couple Fire and Ice, Mishra's Bobble, and some lands. Right and that felt okay. Like when the, when it worked, it worked. When you blind flipped a Delver, it felt awesome. Dragon's 3 Channeler and Delver do kind of go fairly well together because you're kind of able to set up Delver, but not as well as you might think. Like you still really want to... Serum Visions, I think, is kind of like the easiest way to really set up your Delver because you could describe two and then you're able to know what you're going to draw off the top type thing or what you're going to see off the top. There were so many games when I didn't have a flip Delver uh, that were frustrating, but I think people really wanted to test it. Also, I, I hated, I did not like Subtlety, and that's just a card I want to talk about just maybe right now, and I, th- I think Subtlety is slowly going to see its way out of the format, by and large. I think it's going to be maybe a sideboard card. I just don't think this card's enough for the card disadvantage. Like, what you get out of it is not worth two cards, and I think at four mana, it's really fair. Like, I don't know. If the, it doesn't feel like modern power level to me at four mana. Even though I'm getting a 3 3 flyer and doing like an Aether Gust style thing, it's not even really Aether Gust. Like, I'm not even really bouncing a card off the board at any time. I have to do it, I have to interact on the stack. And I, I don't think Settle is is that strong. It didn't feel strong in this deck, especially.
0: Maybe not in this deck. I, I don't know. I kind of like it in the Cascade decks. It's just another oh, sure. way to clear the path for for your Rhiners to to get through or or to slow down. It's not a fair card. I think it's a tempo card. Yeah,
1: it's not It's not a. It's not a super fair. card. I think it's a tempo card like remand.
0: Yes. You know what I mean?
1: Yes. Yeah, just buys you time to get to your combo or something like that. And no note in this deck there were no counter spells. Okay, and that was a super that was a significant weakness of this deck. Like it was like why am I playing subtlety? Why am I even playing force of negation? And like fire and ice, and things like that. When I can, I should just be playing counter spell. Like, if I have access to counter spell in a Delver deck, I should be playing counter spell until the next version I found was a the fourth place in the modern challenge on the 19th. Uh, the Boogles deck, which had four Delver, four DRC, four Mortar Regent, two Subtlety, uh, but got rid of the. Uh, fire and ice got rid of the main deck force of negation and up to the unholy heat to three. No, the last deck had three as well, but it had four counter spells. Also mm-hmm. a couple spell pierce main, which was a little bit aggressive. I think I actually only played one main because I did not like 17 lands. They played 17. I thought that was really aggressive. I went up to 18 mm-hmm. because I just felt safe for doing so. Um, and this deck played a lot better to me, even though the, the changes were meager. Like I I think that uh spell a singleton spell pierce was pretty cool. Having counter spell was just a game breaker sometimes. Like it it let you do things that holding up a subtlety didn't. Like, you know, I'm, a subtlety is, is very specific in terms of the time and instance in which you want to play it. And counter spell is always counter spell. As <laughs> we were talking about <laughs> earlier, right?
0: I have noticed that counterspell always does the same thing.
1: Yeah, always wins.
0: Do you agree with my previous point that like, the coffin on Delver of Secrets is, is more or less nailed shut. Because you actually played with uh, the card. I, yeah, you know, I played I play with the, thing, the actual Delver. The thing that I appreciated about Jesse's list is that, you know, she just said no. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't even,
1: for whatever reason, I don't have my last list. No, I, the, the only deck that I did play with uh, with the Monkey was the Urza deck. I didn't play with Monkey in the, a Delver-style deck. and. Yeah, I don't think Delver is, is that great. Like, I, I don't think anyone is, is actually championing Delver Secrets right now, but I just feel like, yeah, just the, the density is is not there for you to routinely flip it. It's, it's hard to set up because of the lack of good cantrips with Scry that we have in this format. A lot of the sequencing is challenging because, like, it's like, well, I want a Thought Scour to fill my graveyard, but that mills me, and I can't set up the draw, and like my Dragon's Raid Channeler, and my Mishra's Bobble play together in a certain way, and then, and then if I actually crack it, that messes up my setup, and so it's like, it's just challenging to get that card on top like you want with for Delver, and so it felt a lot more random than I would want to play consistently.
0: Yeah, maybe if we ever get brainstorm, we can.
1: Play Delver, but that's a good point. So, um, Stan, Chain. talk about talk about your deck because then then I think we should talk about Dragon's Rage Channeler because this is I think <laughs> the first week we have spent significant amount of time playing it.
0: Yeah. So my experience with this is it or no? It's a Jeskai deck. It does have a prismatic ending and it is a Lurus deck as well. My experience with it wasn't as positive as my experience with the Jeskai Stone monkey blade deck and I, I sort of left feeling like this is a classic example of jesse is a very talented player that can do well with a deck that isn't necessarily as good uh, others you know people might disagree i and i'll be happy to be wrong but I, I didn't feel like this this all-in drc ragavan snapcaster deck was kind of the best way to build this is it tempo shell per se but I don't know. Channeler's cool. Channeler is hard to flip if you don't find um, a bobble though. And I think that's annoying at any time when it feels like you need to actually find like one of your four copies of, of Misha's bobble or, or whatever your atypical cart type is actually feels like more of a liability, but I certainly can't, I feel like I cannot understate how awesome the surveil ability is.
1: Yeah. That's, that's the thing that I think people are realizing. It's like, it's almost not the delirium. It's almost not the three-three must attack flyer thing. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that like you're just churning through your deck and you're yeah. able to find what you need. You're able to enable your unholy heats, which just is like as they say, combination.
0: Yes, yes, and, and and likewise, not only are you filtering your hand either to enable dragon's rage channeler or just to draw better spells, but you're potentially setting up future snapcaster mage plays, which I think is also quite powerful
1: yeah that's that's good in
0: that strategy for sure which is like
1: yeah or, or like even in i think decks like uh, uh is it blitz um is a prowess right where it's just like well uh i don't really mind throwing a lava dart in there why not like it's gonna it's gonna get an instant in there now and then as i have some later i get that late game extra little prowess trigger there's a lot of options there uh i think there's just it's the surveil is super helpful and it's part of part of modern decks like this like these turbo xerox as they're called or they were called at least where it's just like a pile of cheap spells that you want to cast and get to the ones you want and you want to find additional threats or you want to charge up your graveyard for your murktide regent it's just all kind of good stuff
0: again high synergy in a a one drop yeah yeah card is cool how did you feel playing with murktide regent How easy was it to cast it for two mana? How often were you able to make it grow by exiling cards?
1: So, I mean, I did talk bad about subtlety earlier on, but having your Murktide Regent subtlety does suck. (laughs) (laughs) Shane, because you're like, sometimes you're like, hey, uh, I need to get this online fast. And I've got like five cards in my graveyard, and I'm just going to delve five and blue, blue. And then you're like, oh, just like when you you know have a delve spell get countered with counter you know, any kind of counter magic uh, it's pretty brutal but specifically subtlety is something that wasn't an option in the format earlier uh, because if your opponent was representing no mana they still can't force a negation it now with subtlety they certainly can it's almost like the set was designed around cards and interactions like this in mind Yeah. so yeah I mean but honestly I think I think murtide is super good it's a kind of spell that yeah if your opponent can't interact with it they're going to concede the game because you can swing with an 8-8
0: pretty darn quickly how important did you feel was thought scour to setting up you know a cheap Merc Tide region or, or 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 were you able to make it cheap just from bobbles and, and fetches and kind of yeah it's it's, it's kind the of the just gameplay.
1: naturally occurred i thought thought scour was more about your dragon's raid channeler where it's just oh. like you know, getting getting it's great on turn two because you have a much higher chance of getting that
0: turn two three three flyer off a of Dragon's Rage. Do you, should we be using Coward to target our opponents to make them mill cards so they don't draw no. good cards? <laughs> I don't know, Stan. Sometimes cards in the graveyard
1: can be good. Huh. But yeah, I mean, if if you know, like let's say let's say you bobble them, and it's like, oh well, they're going to get a path to exile, and I have a Merktide Regent, then sure. Thoughts, Gowerum. Yeah, that, that's a good line.
0: I'm going to remember that
1: that one. Never forget. Um, I so believe heave on what on which version? Like, is it like so? Is it Delver with counterspells? Uh, I don't know. I'd probably just rather play. Is it prowess? Honestly, like I think I think that you might have. I think you might have played the better counterspell version of Delver, right? Because and. Uh, a Delver of Secrets or a Dragon's Rage channel that is protected by countermagic, I think is less valuable than a Stoneforge Mystic or a Ragavan protected by countermagic.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: mm-hmm. the the value you are incrementally gaining by those two cards staying on the board, or let's say, or getting through for damage in the case of like uh, the monkey, um, you know, if you untap and you bolt something and you swing it with a monkey, that's probably better then swinging in with like a dragon's race channeler, that's probably better than having a flip delver because like then your batter skull or your calder complete or you know, all that kind of stuff is just able to do stuff faster. Like the clock on like a, a, an unflipped delver or the clock on even a three, three dragon's race channeler. It's not that great. Yeah. Um, And, the, and what's really stinks too, is like must attack sometimes stinks. Like you can lose a race with a must attack part of DRC is like, you know, there, I think there are times you definitely want to play it. Maybe uh, you, you don't want to enable surveil right away until like maybe after combat or something like that, or you want to mill away some stuff so that you have a blocker because you're in a bad shape. And if you're, if you're doing that, you're probably going to lose.
0: Yeah. I I think maybe your, your decks kind of suffered by actually having Delver secrets in them. I would love to try Jesse's version, but throw in the marked head regions. Um, and see how that plays. I mean,
1: even or just play this just with like, you know, four monkey, four dragons rage channeler, four Murtard Regent, maybe still a few subtlety or something like that, or you know, you can even get to something where it's like, well, why why not just play some Sprite Dragon or something like that? Like just have a density of threats where if if you stick one or two of anything that you're gonna turn the corner and just pull ahead.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, I'm a believe. I don't know if this is the best way to play tempo. It's I think it's a poor way to play control, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> it, yeah, I, I mean it, it is a deck that's possible. If it's possible, it's thanks to Channeler and Ragavan. Like enabling yeah. this this version of, of a load of the ground is a deck that's not prowess.
1: So so what are we going back to? Are we going back to kind of like our slightly slower? Jess guy version that you played first, like the Thunder Striker seven list, where it's like the Stoneforge and the Snaps and the Ragavans and maybe a few, maybe a few walkers in there and your prismatic endings and your 12 flipping counter spells or something like that. Your called to Complete, your Batterskull skull, like that's just sort of the better thing to be doing because like I was just thinking earlier, like if, if anything you're doing works and you're just pulling so far
0: ahead and you, you can close the game more quickly, or what? I I just think that that deck had more options. Yeah, you know options what I mean, good. It, 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 it it had more tools to deal with a variety of of different matchups. Whereas these Delver decks are a little bit more all in. Yeah, and 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 I likewise felt that it was a better counterspell deck because the, it gave me more things to do with more mana later in the game.
1: Um, Stan, one of the one of the issues I felt playing kind of like the not true control decks is like. Your stuff doesn't always line up. Like, unholy heat doesn't always have a target.
0: Mm-hmm. Force of
1: negation doesn't always have a target. Mm-hmm. Expressive iteration or like, or seer envision, something like that, sort of just feels like you're doing a little bit of wheel spinning. And like, I feel like control decks, counter spell always has something to target, right? Your opponent's always casting spells. Cryptic command, Archmage's charm, those always are doing something for you. Like, if you're holding up mana, your opponent goes to their end step you draw two cards off your Archmage's Charm. Whereas, like, if my opponent is not casting something my Unholy Heat can hit, that's just a dead card in my hand, right? And so I think it's like, what are my options, and are they the options that line up with what my opponents are doing at the same time? And I think that didn't always feel like the case for me with my, like, is it Delver decks?
0: Did you like playing with Counterspell? Like, I, I, I you know what? I was, I was thrilled about this, you doing these decks because... I wasn't expecting you to say, I'm going to see what counter is like.
1: Oh, it was definitely necessary for the strategy. Right. Because like, I I want to be able to stop anything my opponent throws at me when I have my, my three, two plinker. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the only way you're going to be able to get enough time to take advantage of the tempo. And I don't think that, I don't think a card, like I think a card like subtly, like seems like it should be a good tempo card, but I think like you said, it's maybe more of like a combo protection card. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, I can I can toss this thing away uh, because it's my remand or something like that. And if it's not, maybe I can hard cast it, and that's good too. Um, but yeah, counter Spell is great. It's it it. I think it's a it's a clearly very strong card. I don't think it feels too good, um, but I do think that it is what a deck like this needs to even think about being competitive in some ways. Shall we move on? Yeah, I think I think we gotta talk about the the Urza saga in
0: the room, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it a Urza menace to so- society, Shane, or is it a card we want to stick around because it's so cool and good? It's
1: it's it's so it's so low cost, right? Like it's it does it does a lot for a little. Is kind of my thing, right? Like I think. One of the things I think that there's there's a couple arguments that one can can go with here, right? And one is like Urza Saga is 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 free, just flat out free, and gets me two constructs and tutors me up an artifact. That is not the case. You have to put you have to put mana mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. Urza Saga
0: to and, and make not those, and not do anything else, right? And if you're spending the mana to, to make constructs, that means you're you've tapped out for the turn.
1: Well, I mean, if you play it on if you play saga on turn two, for instance, right? And you wanna and and that's yes. like your main game plan. I think there are long games where it's perfectly viable to play saga late and keep up counter magic or play another threat or something like that. But yeah, let's say your game plan is turn two, I'm gonna play a saga, turn three, I'm gonna make a a, a construct, turn four I'm gonna make a construct and tutor up uh, I don't know, Shadow Spear or mm-hmm, something mm-hmm, like that, right? Mm-hmm. That is not free. That is time and mana
0: <laughs> and but, money and money. Saga's a $30 <laughs> card and money.
1: But as, as I mentioned earlier, as Jerry T would say, this is a, it's, it makes a lot of free cardboard. Like it makes artifacts that help with affinity help with improvise. Uh, they're pumping up other constructs. It, it makes creatures out of nothing. You know, it makes I me mean, out of your mana and your time and your turn but it does make constructs that if you're playing a bunch of other cheap artifacts get to be pretty darn big, it does tutor up another artifact and zero and one mana artifacts are pretty surprisingly good in modern. And so it just goes into a lot of different strategies because I think be- primarily because artifact synergies are so ubiquitous in modern right now, right now. And I think, I mean, I don't think that's necessarily, I think that's kind of uh,
0: chicken and egg, Right. So, Shane, I think I think we need to call this segment Hot Take Corner. Stan and Shane's Hot Take Corner. Please. Because Dave's gone. Uh, maybe one day we'll have a little intro song for this section. <laughs> Stan recall, and
1: Shane's Hot Take Corner.
0: So you may recall last week I played that uh, true affinity deck? Yeah, I remember that. That was my first exposure to Urza Saga. And I felt like in a deck like that, basically filled a role that Opal used to play. Not because it was a mana accelerant, but because it gave you a resource that served other purposes. And it it essentially was a glue that really held an artifact strategy together. And prior to Urza Saga's printing, we barely had any artifact decks. Hammer was... but so, then, like,
1: you know, Urza was a different thing before, before Opal got banned. It's just like, yeah.
0: Yeah, and and after Urza and, and um, that snow permanent that is banned. Arc, arc, uh, yeah, yes, that one. Arkham's Astrolabe. So after Astrolabe yeah. and, and, and Opal got banned, with the exception of Hammer, we just didn't really see any high-level artifact decks at all. There was some Urza decks floating around, but I don't think that they were, you know, tier two. So my point here is that What's cool is that Urza has enabled all these artifact strategies. And I think maybe one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is whether or not it's a more tolerable resource than Opal was, where, as you put it, it's not doing anything for free, per se, because you have to invest time and mana into its ability. But it's also not accelerating those artifact strategies. And are we better off having some kind of artifact plans around? And I'm at the point where it's like, I think it's cool in decks like Hammer. I think it's interesting in a deck like Tron. I think it really sucks in a deck like Amulet. And I'd rather see Primeval Titan go than than like us, us deem that Urza Saga is too effective.
1: If, if beca- they really if they really want modern to rotate and to feel like it's shaken up, just just get rid of Titan. I mean that that card like the card and those decks have had their time. I know people love them, but I just I I have a hard time imagining. That you need to do that one more time in your life, do you know what I mean? Like I really need to make amulet on on happen in my Titan on turn three and to you know get the same lands I always get and to win the game. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm being pretty facetious here, but you you know what I'm saying is like I think what you're saying, Stan, is should we sacrifice potentially? Let's say Urza Sagas potentially on the ban on the ban watch list. What do we have to lose in order to keep a card like urza or saga rather yeah and, 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 and is it I'm worth curious. it right
0: like it's w- yeah. we have to now decide is it worth worth the squeeze i do think though that if it sticks around it's just going to become a pillar of the format because it's so powerful yeah. beca- because it can yeah. be really ubiquitous you can't put it in every deck you you probably shouldn't be putting it in your Jeskai control decks but the no. fact that you can play it in Tron or hammer time or affinity or, or else. food
1: or right. Titan or scales or like lantern lock decks.
0: Yeah. And, and, and maybe that's okay. Like having yeah. format pillars, they have a role. Lightning bolt is a card. Yeah. I mean, it certainly
1: is. Uh, so playing with Urza saga. I felt still vulnerable. I felt like people had ways to disrupt what I was doing. I ran into that disruption, and I was like, "Oh, maybe turn two Urza Saga is not winning me the game automatically." Uh, but sometimes it it did a lot, and and it felt really good. But yeah, I, I think that it's it's not particularly fast. It's ah uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's certain decks. I think it's more broken than others, and Amia Titan's one of those. And maybe scales, I don't know. Like maybe lantern. I would hate to see lantern come back as a tier one strategy, honestly, just because it's kind of like a miserable
0: play experience. Dude, all you need to do is register a gorilla shaman. Good point. <laughs> Good point. We're having fun though, right? Urza Saga, obviously crazy. more pretty crazy, but I don't think we I don't feel like I did when Hogak was around. I don't feel like I did oh, no. when when Oka was around. Because at the end of the day, my cards still do stuff and it is does, yeah, it, it doesn't feel like we're in a scenario where my opponent is doing something that just it completely invalidates my deck.
1: Yeah. And when I was looking at the the challenges, I was kind of like looking for what's broken right now. Like what's what's standing out as the go-to strategy? And I don't think there is one. There's just there's a lot of different ways that people are playing modern. There's some cards that are more popular than they have been. There's some new cards that are really popular. Like Ragavan, I don't think Ragavan's the kind of card that can take over a format, which is good. I don't think Stoneforge is the kind of card that can take over a format, which is also good. Um, (laughs) But yeah, and so I think that Modern is going to be in heavy flux for a few months, which is great. And then we're going to have the D&D set, uh, Forgotten Realms, and then that'll mess things up too, because I'm sure there's going to be powerful cards there. And I think it's a good way to restart Modern in a lot of ways and i'm pretty happy with the way things are playing out right now and i think that i'm looking i'm looking forward to the the coming weeks and months of, of modern play how about you stan
0: totally agree uh the shops around me are starting to do paper play and i'm excited to uh shuffle up some cards again i've, I've been buying up mh2 pieces to to do that you know i want to wreck noobs but usually they end up wrecking me <laughs> kids these days seriously Well, that wraps up this week's edition of Stan and Shane's Hot Take Corner. Stan and Shane's Hot Take Corner corner. is over. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. Usually there's three of us. We hope Dave returns next week. And I hope he brings a calzone for everyone in the room. If you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review always goes a long way for helping other people find our show. We're grateful for everyone who's left a rating and review thus far, and we'll be thrilled to read off more rating and reviewers names in future episodes. Otherwise, if you'd like to submit a question to us on the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at the dive down all one word. You can also email us the dive at gmail.com. You can support the show via our Patreon at patreon.com slash the you can support our show while playing Magic with new Modern Horizons 2 cards, which are getting increasingly easier to find and rentable on Mana Traders. with coupon code The Down 2021 all one word. Get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and play New day.
1: Show me that gain again, show me that gain. Don't waste another minute on your gaining we are going live, we're going live. We're on Twitch, I better tell the Slack. Where's my Shane URL, dark down Shane. Don't waste another minute on Stanislav.
0: Show me that good boy, Shaneislav.